We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Yeah, I just went out there and did what Swaggy P do. <laughs> Teammates played great, and we um, came out with the victory, you know? I'm just trying to really get my, my NBA 2K rating up. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast, sponsored as always by FanDuel.com. It is Wednesday, December 11th. Nick Whalen back with James Anderson. James, last week on the pod, we did our probably way too early. 2019 NBA draft redraft uh, we had initially planned on on talking about 2018 as well and as we've been prone to do over the years we ran out of time uh, so we'll run through the 2018 NBA redraft in a little bit but a few quick things to get to at the top um, not a lot going on in the NBA on Tuesday as is usually the case uh, we had you know Wizards Hornets uh, really another sad loss by the Nuggets in Philly um, but I want to talk about the Atlanta Miami game, which, uh, as you've probably seen on social media by now, Atlanta was up um, six points with about fifty three seconds left. The game was declared over um, by by one Trey Young, who 
made a pretty routine pass to Alex Len for a dunk. Uh, again, 53 seconds were on the clock. And, not and this had been a back-and-forth game, right. like, even in the fourth quarter, you know. The Hawks are also a bad team <laughs> right. who have with a, a ton with of leads. horrific defense. And are terrible. They're 6-18. <laughs> um, so Trey Young kind of did the, the Vince Carter, it's over. Um, Vince Carter, of course, is on that team. I would love to hear Vince Carter's reaction to this. <laughs> And Duncan Robinson and Jimmy Butler promptly hit back-to-back threes. All of a sudden, it's tied. The Hawks can't get a shot off, and it goes into OT. And the Heat scored, I think, the first like 14 points of overtime. And basically, it ends up being a blowout overtime loss for the Atlanta Hawks. Basically, the regular season version of, uh, what was that, Game 2 from the finals where the Heat uh, where Dwayne Wade was taunting yep. the Mavs bench, and then they they were like, "Up, oh, no, we're we're gonna have to come back now." Basically, the exact same thing. I mean, I would argue <laughs> that this was probably on a larger scale, um, but no. I mean, Atlanta continues to be just kind of a disaster. I mean, as we discussed last week, they're still only like six games out of the eight seed, and I mean that gap is growing, and I, I don't think they're going to to close it, but. Um, I mean, the the eight's going to be very much up for grabs in the East, just like those last two spots in the West. But um, we'll get to Trey Young, I guess, in a little bit when we talk about the the redraft. Um, I kind of want to focus on Miami for a little bit, though. The uh, the Heat are now eighteen and six, and I, I want to ask you, what's more surprising the the Toronto Raptors, which play host to Kawhi Leonard in Toronto tonight? They're sixteen and seven. What, which is the more pleasant surprise? to you or or are you surprised by either of these that the 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 heat have 18 wins or the raptors have 16 wins uh well as you recall from before the season i picked the over for both these teams so not particularly surprised that they're having good seasons Uh, i had the raptors finishing fourth and the heat finishing fifth in the east so uh not overly surprised in in either case but I think the you know the Raptors just being a team that realistically could get the number 2 seed yeah. is probably the more surprising thing. I mean, I think I mean you could make a case the fact that the Heat haven't lost at home is is just as impressive as as anything the Raptors have done this year, but mm-hmm. um you know, I think I'll, even a lot of smart people thought the raptors might end up being sellers this year and the fact that that's already pretty much completely off the table i think is is uh quite the achievement so i'll I'll give the raptors the slight edge there but i mean i think these are two of the best stories in the league two of the best coaches in the league two of the best uh front offices in the league and both franchises are just uh, you know really really in a good spot yeah i mean i think miami to me is probably a little bit more surprising i I think i I was with you that these teams were probably in that you know three to six range i was definitely a little bit lower on the raptors so i I can't claim that i was as optimistic um you know on guys like fred van vliet norman powell og even hollis jefferson you know kind of becoming a rotation guy like I, i thought they would take a much bigger step back um but miami i mean to have two guys who you know, back in June one, we didn't even know who Kendrick Nunn was. I don't even know if he was on the roster back in June and he's been, he's been great. And Tyler hero who, you know, I mean, I I don't think anyone was necessarily down on that pick, but for him to make this kind of impact right away, you know, we've seen so many guys who go light it up in summer league and then are just buried on the bench for the entire season, or it doesn't carry over for whatever reason. And he's basically been the same player as he was in the Orlando summer league and the Vegas summer league in preseason, you know, he's 41% from three and you know Miami is just so so deep that I think they're going to be an interesting team 
I don't know if it's this year, you know, just given kind of the the undersaturated um, trade market or if it's in the future, but they now have, you know, they have a few bad contracts as we've discussed, but they also now have these like really cheap kind of throw in pieces that you could make in a big deal for a star. Yeah. I think the, the kind of common thread with both these teams is just that they have excelled in the draft and developing even mm-hmm. non non-drafted guys. Uh, you know, the, we, we talked about uh, the, the Raptors bench, a little bit last week, but I mean Duncan Robinson, uh, you know, an undrafted guy from a couple of years ago. Uh, <laughs> he was just absolutely dominant in last night's game and has been shooting well above forty percent from three this year. Um, Tyler Harrow, like you said, I mean he's he's had a great year. I, you know, Bam Adebayo, I think is the guy that's getting the most national attention uh, for fantasy. I think a lot of people aren't maybe as surprised just because he was just such a trendy guy in in draft season because of the fact that his per minute stats would seemingly translate really well without Hassan Whiteside in the picture but I think he's even outperformed uh the people's expectations who are highest on him and uh this Jimmy I like part of the reason why I love this team so much is I just thought this is a perfect team for Jimmy Butler to kind of be his best self where like the heat like you don't play for the heat if you're not busting it on both ends and that's as long as Jimmy Butler's surrounded by players like that he's gonna thrive and I think he's actually a a really good locker room presence in that type of situation Uh, and I think he's just the type of guy where if you surround him with these guys that can either shoot or defend or both he can be the guy that gets you buckets late in games and he's not a you know he's not a black hole type of star by any means and i think that this team just everyone they don't have too many guys they don't have too few guys and i think it just the pieces fit really well they have seven guys averaging at least 11 points per game which which kind of backs up what you said and yeah i mean it hasn't really been jimmy butler carrying this team by any means i mean he's been kind of the the slight leader i guess you know on a lot of nights but like in terms of of value over replacement he and bam are, are basically tied they're they're close in box plus minus they're really close in wind shares um you know it hasn't been a one-man show which i think that's kind of the reputation that jimmy butler developed over these last couple of years and and i don't really think that was ever true i think he just he wants to win and he wants everyone to bring it as hard as he brings it right. and that was obviously not even close to the case in minnesota and you know i think he had a lot of success in in chicago when those teams were uh kind of at the peak of their powers so mm-hmm. uh, this is just a really good marriage with him in miami uh you don't want to put the cart too far in front of the horse you know part of the reason why there you know some teams were a little wary about giving him this contract is because he typically misses you know yep. 15 to 20 games a year so you know something like that could still be in the works and you know is duncan robinson gonna shoot basically twice as good from three this year as he did last year is tyler hero gonna hit a something of a rookie wall where maybe finishes closer to like 34% from three than 38% from three. I mean, a lot Kendrick Nunn, I think has already started to regress mm-hmm. minus last night, but, uh, you know, I think this is a team that's pretty comfortably going to finish with a top six seed. And I would, I would even say I'd mm-hmm. be surprised if they weren't playing in that four or five game. Yeah. I mean, hero something or that, you know, that situation is something to keep an eye on. I, I think one of my preseason predictions was he would be, arrested at like a g easy concert so we'll see i mean I, I know there's a big music festival i think in like march in miami uh logic might be there you know that type of thing um he did the 
Pat Riley might want to look into putting him on house arrest or something like that. For right. <laughs> well, I, I guess actually, according to the internet, G Easy was just in Miami last week, and apparently a hero made it out unscathed. So maybe he's maybe he's you know already passed that hurdle. Counterpoint to all that, though, Deion Waiters hasn't even played a minute for this team. Like the the secret weapon has not even been dusted off. Which, when you talk about Miami Heat guys, like I totally agree. You know, you you kind of have to bust it on both ends. You know, there's there's certainly a type that they look for. Why did they ever sign Deion Waiters? They just were they completely lost their minds for like a a one year stretch uh, when I think it like was Gordon Hayward spurning them pretty much the. Like that was the impetus mm-hmm. that led to them just freaking out and handing out all those terrible contracts. That just is it's if Pat Riley hadn't done that like array of moves, his his you know, record would just be so spotless since LeBron left, but that one horrible right. summer really set them back, but they're almost out of the woods, you know. Right. I mean Well, they, that was the summer that the cab went up too, right? So I, I think, think they, they were freaking out. They were some teams just maybe out tried to outsmart themselves basically with the the cap going up. They signed Udonis Haslam, James Johnson, Derek Williams. My goodness, Roddy Magruder, Hassan Whiteside, Tyler Johnson, Wayne Ellington, Willie Reed, O'Carroll White, and Deion Waiters over the course of a month. And that was yeah. I think I think Gordon Hayward said no, and then I think uh, that was also the year after they had that crazy second half with a bunch of role players and like i think that they let that influence their decision making that summer way more than they should have uh but you know they're what waiters and johnson come off the books after next year i think and then at that point you have jimmy butler bam out of bio tyler hero uh ken you'll have kendrick nunn you'll have duncan robinson at that point you basically have Yep. a incredibly appealing young core with Jimmy Butler and mm-hmm. Bam Adebayo as sort of your your big two. And if you can add a big three, you'll have the cap space to do so. Right. And at that point, then they're all of a sudden a, a title contender. Yeah, I mean, you hear Giannis as the name they're chasing in 2021. Not that that's a surprise to anybody. I think every team with any amount of cap space will be doing that. But whether whether it's Giannis or someone else, they're going to be... I think they're almost in a position to be like that summer's version of the Clippers, where it's like you've built this really nice core that any star player would want to play with, you know. And I guess we'll see. The one liability is maybe where is Jimmy Butler in two more years physically? Um, you know, I mean, like you said, he's basically been penciled in for twenty missed games the last few years. That probably won't stop anytime soon. Um, so maybe that's the one issue. But even he comes off the books, you know, in twenty twenty three, and he has a player option that, based on where he is, he could decline. But yeah, I mean, they've kind of been able to ride it out for a couple of years, and it's. It conveniently worked out that even if they had made the right moves, they probably weren't going to win the finals. You know, their their period of having these terrible contracts coincided with Golden State, you know, in their run with Toronto in their run last year. Um, and it, it's I think it's going to work out really well for them long term. I guess the question is like, how much do you end up having to pay Bam? It's going to be a lot, but I mean, he's, just you pay him what it takes. Yeah, I think he's I mean he's <laughs> going to be a near max player, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean he he had 30, 11, 11, and two steals last night, a triple double. Last three games, 25 points, 13 rebounds, seven assists, two steals, and a block. I mean, he's uh, he's going to make the all-star team at this right. point. He, and, he, and he probably should. I would be real. I mean, we've seen guys like Rudy Gobert and Giannis take slightly under the max, uh, mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam. But, you know, that would be the, the biggest discount I could see them getting is just yeah. slightly under the max. And if I were them, I would be more insistent on getting the – as many years as you can then mm-hmm. uh like i mean i think the bucks would happily have 
given Giannis the max looking back now with that extra year than, okay. than what they ended up doing. Speaking of Giannis, he will not play tonight uh, in New Orleans, and that'll be a little bit of an iffy game now all of a sudden for Milwaukee, that, you know, which comes in on a 15-game winning streak. Um, I wanted to ask you, over-under, now taking into account that Giannis won't play tonight, over-under 23 games for this Bucks winning streak. Uh and that would mean they beat the Mavs and the Lakers. I right? give you their upcoming schedule. So they come into tonight having one fifteen. They or the, actually tonight is home. So home for the Pelicans at Memphis, home for Cleveland, home Dallas, home the Lakers at the Knicks, home against the Pacers, and then the twenty third win would be Christmas Day at Philly. Uh, I'll take I guess the under on twenty three straight wins, but I think it's very realistic that they could have a uh, still have that streak intact on christmas day i mean i they'll be favored in every single one of those games right they get dallas and the lakers both at home with two days in between i i would i would side with you i think they're kind of due to lose one of those two and playing without Giannis, you know for the first time this season maybe throws them off a little bit tonight like i like i said in the office i thought I thought they would rest Giannis for Friday against the Grizzlies or Saturday against the Cavs. To me, that's a little bit safer. And, and they're claiming he has a quad injury. Maybe he actually does. Um, but, I, I mean, the Pelicans, to me, even though they're just as bad as those teams in terms of record, like they, they would scare me a little bit more than that Cavs roster. <laughs> yeah, you think so? I'm going out on the limb right now. <laughs> um, I mean, the the great thing about the Bucks is they when they play these terrible teams, for the most part, they – get to just give all their starters tons of rest yeah. in the second half so which they've basically been doing for the last two weeks they've been blowing teams out yeah. by 40 plus including the clippers who they absolutely manhandled on friday that was a pretty embarrassing showing by the clippers i mean they did not i don't know if they just what whatever they didn't have it i mean at no point did they even make it make it a fight no. i mean their their offense you know maybe it was you got to give some credit to the bucks defense but i mean that the offense just did not look yeah. that dynamic at all. I mean, that's not the type of Clippers team I would expect to see if those teams meet in the finals at all. But still, I mean, a really impressive win. Yeah, I didn't even think the Bucks played all that well in the first half. You know, I mean, the Clippers were able to hang around just because Milwaukee didn't shoot it all that well. And obviously they stepped on the gas in the second half. But um, yeah, one of the more surprising results thus far. Uh, you, you sent me a tweet earlier this morning about the best two-man lineups in the NBA and we have enough of a sample now that you know these are minimum 500 possessions so you know we're not talking like these lineups are playing six minutes together number one I think we all expected this James Harden and Ben McElmore plus 23.1 points per 100 the big two the big two yep uh, the big <laughs> signing this offseason for Houston or the big trade was getting getting Ben McElmore and then the next four are all bucks involved Giannis and DiVincenzo Bledsoe and DiVincenzo Giannis and Bledsoe Giannis and Wes Matthews and they're each at at least plus 18 points per 100 possessions yeah I, I mean it's really really impressive uh Giannis if, if you want a Giannis is gonna win back-to-back MVP stat I mean that's pretty much the stat that, that he's not as good as Ben McElmore <laughs> that he's, <laughs> uh, he's almost as good as McElmore. <laughs> I mean they're, they're just such a machine part of that too is just their last what 10 games minus the clippers have come against terrible teams so a lot of bulls yeah um a couple timberwolves a couple a couple magic yeah, yeah. uh you know the bit the thing is we're not really learning a ton other than the fact that 
DiVincenzo, I think, is kind of living up to the expectation they had for him when they drafted him. Uh, we'll touch on him in a second, too. But mm-hmm. uh, really, the only thing about this Buck season was just how far are they going to go in the playoffs? Everyone knew they were going to win you know, around 60 games. They might even win over 60 games at this rate. But uh, I still have some questions about how that offense gets points in the half court against like a a Philly defense or a Clippers defense you know I mean they're obviously Uh excellent in transition they can just bludgeon the bad teams but when a team like the Sixers really clamps down on the half court and either is daring on us to shoot threes or putting on us on the line uh, that's when I think it's you know kind of kind of going to make or break their season can they Uh get buckets with any efficiency at all in the half court against the elite defenses in the playoffs yeah i mean unfortunately we, we probably won't even get any sort of you know like evidence to support or deny that until it gets to the east finals or... right i mean the, the amount of defensive intensity which yeah. you saw in that clippers game like the amount of defensive intensity you see from players like Kawhi leonard in right. the regular season just does not even come close to what you're going to get in the postseason yep. so you really you really have no way of knowing Right. No, I think part of it, too. I mean, playing the same team six or seven times in a row. I mean, they had Toronto had no answer through the first three games of that series. They didn't want to put Kawhi on Giannis. And then when they did, they just put the exactly. And you and in a one game sample like Friday, you don't have the the luxury of just being able to adjust like that. You know, I mean, they might they might not even play a fully healthy Clippers team again in the regular season. I'd say there's a pretty good chance. Uh, A couple other news items before we get into the redraft. This happened, you know, four or five days ago, but we have not talked since the Knicks fired David Fisdale. I think it became pretty clear that he was going to be the odds-on first coach fired, and that, of course, came to fruition. Dick Vitale wants Rick Pitino for the Knicks. <laughs> you um, want Rick Pitino. I want Rick I would, Pitino. Yeah, I don't know. Who doesn't want Rick Pitino? I haven't seen a single person say they don't want Rick Pitino yet. I think it's unanimous at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know who they're going to bring in. I, if, I feel like all the talk in the wake of this has been about Masai, not about future coaches, but it, it looks like they're pretty content to just ride this out with yet another interim and kind of just reset once again in the summer of 2020. Yes, it, it would seem that way. Uh, <laughs> I I mean, I would love for Masai or Presti or whoever to just come out and say, you know, as long as the Knicks are ownership situation remains where it's at, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Right. Uh, I, I feel like they're saying that privately. Yeah, I can't imagine why anyone that's that good would yep. want to go from a place where they can do exactly what they want to a place where they mm-hmm. maybe can't but uh for i mean he was getting fisdale was getting a, a late charge there from from alvin gentry um you know, i think there might have been a couple other guys yep. that were, were making a push so uh, you know happy for him that he was still able to to get that win right. and uh not a bad way to spend the rest of your no season if you're Fisdale Uh, not a guy who's going to be collecting paychecks and and not having to deal with that that mess of a roster anymore I don't think he's going to be down on his luck I think this is almost best case yeah Yeah, I I think he'll probably just go and be like an unofficial consultant for Spo and probably you get to to a certain point in that type of situation as the coach where you're kind of just like can you just fire me already right (laughs) I can't ask you to fire me but I would like to be fired um yeah i mean i think the big winner of Giannis not playing tonight is alvin gentry because he's been getting booed in warm-ups or in uh pre-game introductions the last well, few home games but is he the big winner because at least if Giannis was playing then no matter what happens you kind of have that yeah. but the bucks could still blow them out without Giannis. right well now this becomes maybe a must win <laughs> for the pelicans who've lost nine in a row like I, I mean everyone knew they were bad i was surprised to see they had lost that many in a row this team is this team should not be that bad at least the case 
the case when you look at like the Warriors who are five and twenty, Memphis, um, Atlanta, Cleveland, New York, like those teams should be five win teams. And I I know New Orleans doesn't have Zion, but there aren't many teams in the league or in the history of the league where you'd say, Oh, we're missing our we're missing our rookie, that's why we're not good. And this is unlike the Knicks job, this is this would be a coveted job, a coveted oh, yeah. head coaching job, uh, if and when they do get right. rid of Gentry. And I think, look, when you when you bring in a new front office and you don't change the coach, it typically is kind of a matter of time before the coach gets changed. Yeah. And I mean, they almost did it this summer. Yeah, and I think that this is just I, there's not going to be any backlash at all to when they they do get rid of Elvin Gentry. So mm-hmm. uh, I would expect that to happen. Yep. I mean, do you think it's going to happen before the All-Star break? Because I, I think it's kind of trending that way. could even happen before Christmas. I, I think it will, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at their upcoming schedule. And, I mean, honestly, they're so bad, I'm not even no, sure they, it matters yeah, who they're no, playing. It, yeah. they, but, uh, I mean, it's if they lose in Milwaukee tonight, that's 10 in a row. They're going to lose in Philly on Friday. That becomes – I mean, at some point, you, you can only lose so many in a row when you have some semblance of expectations. And, I mean, even if they – like, they have Orlando and Brooklyn after that. Like, maybe they win one of those games. But – then they head out on a West Coast road trip that involves the Blazers, the Nuggets, the Rockets, the Lakers, the Kings, who will be presumably healthier at that point, the Jazz. Like They've had a fairly easy schedule, it feels like, early on, and they're just losing to a lot of and, those bad and teams. And people who are generally very measured and, and sort of nice about what they say about coaches, like I, mean, I heard Zach Lowe talking about how he was just kind of amazed at how poor their transition defense was and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean... you when nice people in the media are really kind of openly wondering how you're so poorly coached i think that that's kind of a sign of things to come yeah i uh i can't find the tweet now but i sent you one a couple weeks ago where somebody had a stat that they were averaging like over one just stepping out of bounds per game (laughs) i mean not that that's like something you can necessarily coach but like just the overall level of sloppiness on both ends was astonishing and is still astonishing uh we have a couple flex watches that happened uh, over the past few days. Kevin Porter on Saturday, who I kind of identified him as one of my type of yeah, guys yeah. early at his early in his USC tenure before he was suspended. Um, he was suspended already once this year for what was it? I can't. It was some sort of on court issue. Um, and then, of course, down forty four on Saturday, he threw down like a, a good dunk, but not a great dunk, and an okay dunk. Yeah, and uh, you know, kind of, kind of pulled out the double flex move on Norvell Pell. Yeah, look at the, the the look at the camera. Don't get back on defense. Flex right. when you're down over forty points. Scolded by the local <laughs> TV crew. Um, yeah, I mean the Cavs. I don't. They won't fire John Beeline because of the situation. But in terms of like coaches who I think have lost the locker room, it seems like he's probably right at the top of the list. Yeah, and this. Uh won't be the first won't be the last time when a a college coach comes in and nba players take issue with uh the way that you're trying to to coach the team um you know kevin love i think would probably already be traded if there was any market for him at all because i think he's probably one of the biggest malcontents on the team and maybe if you just completely get rid of the vets who don't like uh playing for beeline and playing with these two uh guards who are just probably the most frustrating uh, backcourt duo to play with right now if you're a big man like kevin love once you get rid of those veterans maybe the locker room goes back to to beeline's direction uh but there's no there's no 
I mean, I've heard several podcasts in the past week where they've been trying to figure out a Kevin Love trade and like no one can figure one out because no team would really want to take on that salary that also has, you know, the the salary to give back. Well, here's the other thing about Kevin Love and I, I I just feel like this is under discussed and it's not just this season like is Kevin Love even that good? <laughs> right now no. like he's, he's over the last what five seasons he's shooting barely over 40 percent from the field for 611 power forward well i think you could make a case that there isn't a big difference if you're a playoff team there isn't a huge difference in who you'd rather have out of kevin love and davis bertans because I, they're both just stretch bigs one of them shoots it better than the other neither and, of them give you anything on defense right like kevin love is just a a stretch big right now who is right. a bad defender you know he's a better rebounder than bertans but uh you know with his contract i mean that it's kind of a ryan anderson type yes. of type of situation I do, I do think he built up a ton of equity early on and rightfully so i mean he was he was awesome for three or four years in Minnesota. I think back he at was the time, just criminally underrated for you know yeah. the first three I mean, good years. He dragged one of those teams to like forty yeah. wins. You know yeah. they never made the playoffs, whatever. But I mean, he averaged twenty and fifteen. Was a great passer. Had four and a half assists his last year in, in Minnesota. Like he was a, a fantastic offensive player. Nobody's debating that. But I think he did a lot of his damage before people really keyed in on like the defensive metrics and. When he got to Cleveland and started playing on bigger stages, it just he just really, really got exposed. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, I, I don't want to say he's like still coasting on name recognition because he's, you know, he's a five, six time All Star, whatever it is. But I just, I don't, I don't know what team would be like. Oh, we got Kevin Love. Now we're set. You know, I, I wouldn't. And, like we saw him play on on a really good team in Cleveland, and he was mostly a liability for them throughout you know that four-year stretch. And I think the Cavs have probably waited too long on this, where it's. You know, they signed him to that extension thinking that they would be able to, you know, do a Blake Griffin trade if things went south and they'd actually be able to get assets back. And I think that they've held on to that notion for too long instead of just recognizing, hey, we're not getting anything of value back. Let's unload him for shorter bad deals uh, to get our books cleaner. But uh, I think at this point, just even the dumb teams in the league are probably out on him. Like maybe you could talk. Uh, like a desperate Suns team into something, but even them, it's like I don't, I don't know how they right. would even talk themselves into him being I mean, a part of their best have, lineup. Kelly Oubre or Kevin Love? Kelly Oubre. Right, that's where we're at. I mean, like Kelly Oubre is not a bad player, or you know, yeah, <laughs> he certainly he certainly kind of changed his reputation over the last calendar year. Basically, as soon as he got to Phoenix, but you know, I think you hear the name Kevin Love and you think star, but. In terms of the actual production, I, d- I just don't know. I think, like you said, it's it's going to have to be kind of a bad team talking themselves into a previous version of Kevin Love. Yeah, I mean, if you if you are willing to take back a couple bad contracts from the Hornets, right? That's the team I was going to say. Then too. maybe you can do something, but the the idea of holding out right. for even a second round pick as part of this is yeah. it's just not going to happen. Like I think of a team like the Lakers, they can't get Kevin Love for a number of reasons, mostly the contract, but. If I'm a team like that that's looking to add maybe one more piece and like really, really solidify that roster, like wouldn't you almost rather have like two or three Marvin Williams or well, two yeah. Marvin Williams type of players over Kevin Love? I would I would even rather have just one Rudy Gay or right. like, I mean even like a Mo Harkless. Type. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I just I, the offensive ceiling is lower, but unless you're one unless you're asking Kevin Love to come in and be the guy, which I don't think any of these teams are, and even that's kind of a proven recipe for mediocrity at best. Um 
I, I just I don't. It's proven out that he doesn't work as a second or third option. Right, and there's just there's not going to be any interest from the top of the league because you can't you can't play him in like a final situation. And I mean, the news now is that he wants to go to Portland. It's where I bet it, bet he does. Oh well, good. I, I want to play for the Lakers. <laughs> he like that would be a disastrous move for them, right? Like I don't. I, I get that they maybe need a little bit of help just with all the injuries, but. I mean, at this point, like he's a better rebounder than Melo, I guess, but they have similar deficiencies. You know, you already have a defensive liability in at both backcourt spots. You know, I just, I just don't see how that makes any sense with their team construction. No, and they don't have enough. They don't have enough poison contracts to send back. Like, if they had, you know, obviously Whiteside would be in the deal. Uh, Baysmore might be in the deal, but you'd rather have those contracts because they expire sooner and. You know, maybe you could talk yourself into just CJ Lillard love with a healthy 100% Nurkic as your defensive floor raiser. But even then, how is a team with Kevin Love, uh, Dame Lillard, and CJ McCollum going to stop anyone in a postseason series? Yeah. So, yeah. No, I I agree. I I think that would be a, like you said, it's going to take somewhat of a desperation move, I think, for a team if if he's going to be acquired this year. It's basically got to be a team chasing the eight seed. Right. Well, and the thing with him, too, is like that contract just kicked in, right? Like it's not. It's not a situation where you can you can say, all right, maybe next year we'll trade him when he's an expiring. Like he's not expiring for a while. Yeah, his contract goes deeper than uh, Chris Paul's does. Does it really? I think so. I think yeah, I think you might be right. I think the, I think the contract starts a year yeah. after it was actually signed. Yeah, he's he's under contract through the 2022-2023 season at just about $29 million. Yep. Fantasy basketball fans, the NBA regular season is in full swing, and FanDuel is offering the most exciting ways to play fantasy basketball, no matter what you're looking for. FanDuel has something for everyone, tons of different contests and formats to choose from, and these contests start at just 25 cents per entry. All you have to do is pick a contest, choose your team, and enjoy watching your results in real time. You can play against your friends for bragging rights, or you can play against the public for millions of dollars in cash prizes. To take advantage of our special offer for new FanDuel users, sign up today at fanduel.com slash rw that's fanduel.com slash rw you'll get a free six-month rotowire subscription with that first deposit on fanduel that'll get you access to our dfs lineup optimizers premium articles draft software everything you need to win your leagues this season just visit fanduel.com slash rw void where prohibited uh, okay let's get into the 2018 redraft uh i think we have a pretty unanimous number one this was one of the easier choices of anything that you've ever had to rank i would assume and you had Doncic at number one yeah all along i so mean we both have Doncic. i i, I think you did too right um, i did i not yeah. as strongly as yeah. you i feel like you were on to luca well before i was yeah i used to just tweet you gifts yeah. of luca uh but i mean i think it's even even if you're just doing I had him in separate tiers, you know. I think okay, sure. Doncic is in. Uh, you know that that trade hasn't worked out as poorly for the Hawks as as I thought it would, but uh, still, I, I think you would hasn't worked tra- out well. You would trade, you would trade Trey Young plus anything for Luka Doncic. So I think they're they're in separate tiers. But yeah, Luka definitely number one. Yeah, I have Luka as well. Um, do you still have Trey at number two? Well, I have him at two now. I uh, definitely didn't have right. him at two on draft day, no, no, but I think I think even since you know last year's All Star break, I think Trey Young had kind of uh, mm-hmm. solidified himself as the second best player from this draft. Yeah, yeah I was going to be interested to see. I 
I thought maybe you would throw like Jaron Jackson or SGA up there just because of the defensive liabilities. I th- I liked Jackson uh, second most on draft day, and I liked him more than Trey for a good chunk of last year when Trey was really struggling. But then once Trey kind of yeah. the efficiency started to to get there, I mean he's just such a special passer. Uh, horrific defender, but still the type of guy that I think could be the engine on a 50 plus win team. Yeah, I, I considered that as well. You know, I have uh, I have Jaron Jackson at three, DeAndre eight and four, and Shea Gilgis Alexander at five. And I mean, Young was was a pretty easy choice at two, but I, I at least had to think about it. But then you look at you know the numbers this year. If you're averaging 28 points and eight and a half assists, like to me, I, I, I don't care how bad you are on defense. Like that's still worth something at the end of the day. So I had basically I, I titled these tiers and for Lucas tier, I just said generational talent for Trey Young's tier. I said multiple all star appearances. Mm-hmm. And then and there's another tier where I just have good starters. OK. And so is anyone else in that tier two? No, I, I mean, I just don't. I'm sure some of these guys that we're going to talk about are going to make multiple all-star teams but i wouldn't bet on any of the guys after trey young to make multiple all-star teams okay fair enough well give me your top five then uh so i had che gilgus alexander at number three jaron jackson at number four and mitchell robinson at number five okay i have mitchell robinson six how low do you have deandre ayton uh i have him eighth that's fair i mean i i think i'm still I'm still willing to to give him a chance. I mean, we've seen him for one game. This I have year. I have him in a tier called Flawed Bigs, <laughs> <laughs> which includes how it, it's just it's just him and Marvin Bagley. Okay, um, <clears throat> I'm surprised I'm surprised you even worked Bagley into the top 25. To be honest, well, you know, I care. I think when we do these lists, I care more about can this guy be on a title team than you yeah. do, and I just pretty much know for a fact that DeAndre Ayton can't be on a title team, and. Uh, Marvin Bagley fits into that group as well. But at a certain point, you would rather have a guy that can get you from 35 wins to 45 wins than just a seventh or eighth man on a title right. team. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's where we disagreed a lot on the 2019 class was, you know, I think you had a lot of like good guys who project as like really nice role players, you know, ahead of guys who are significantly more productive. And I mean, I, I definitely buy that argument, but like, you, but this be, is why I was always way lower on Demarcus Cousins than you. Sure. Like, well, I just like I just like Demarcus Cousins. <laughs> a, he fits like he's the Kevin Porter type of guy for me. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so again, I have Luca, Trey, Jaron Jackson, DeAndre Ayton, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Mitchell Robinson six. Um, so you just want to finish out your top ten? Sure. So uh, Shea three, Jackson four, Mitchell Robinson five. Then I went Wendell Carter six, Devontae Graham seven. DeAndre Ayton, eight, Marvin Bagley, nine, and actually I want to cut it off there. Okay. And, and then uh, we get into some other tiers. But, right. um, I mean, I like I, so I had, you know, Mitchell Robinson, like it's it's sort of a, you know, hopefully he kind of turns into a Rudy Gobert type of guy. And, I mean, if you look at win shares or value over replacement or anything like that, I mean, he's going to rate incredibly high. Uh, so there's some fine-tuning that needs to be done with his game, but – I think you also have to look at the fact that he's just been a completely dysfunctional situation this entire time. Like if, if Mitchell Robinson could have been drafted by like the Miami heat, I'd love to just sort of see where he'd be right now. Uh, But just the fact that he, 
I think just by himself is going to help your defense be at least competent is is something that none of these other guys can say. With Jaron Jackson, I'm I'm interested in your take of just his development thus far because you know when I watch him on offense, he's really impressive. You know he's he's been shooting the three ball really well this year. Again, uh, he's got a little bit more you know one on one scoring ability than I would have even expected him to have this early in his career, uh, but. The defense and the rebounding, you know, part of it is that he's just not that close to the rim on a lot of plays because he's stretching the floor and sometimes he's got to play with a guy like Valanciunas. But the the block shots and the rebounding is just not even close to where I expect it yeah. to be at this stage. Is that concerning to you at all? The rebounding especially. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's like, I think last year he finished top 15 in block rate. Um, or top 10 actually in block rate top 15 in blocks per game so like that, that I guess I'm not super concerned about and like you said he spends a lot of time on the perimeter um, especially you know um, playing alongside Valanciunas this year kind of forces him out of those shot blocking situations I think the big the two big concerns for me are the rebounding it's very Porzingis like I guess where you know like the athleticism the height all profile as somebody who should be probably around 10 or more rebounds per game and I mean the motor as well like you don't hear you don't hear about him you know not working or anything like it, it just doesn't make sense that he's grabbing fewer than five rebounds per game um and the other thing is the fouls like he is up over four fouls per game in 27 minutes per game I mean he is in foul trouble almost every single game he has been you know we project players for every single mm-hmm. game this year and he's he's somebody that you know when we look at minutes on a given night it's like okay we'd like to pencil him in for 33 minutes mm-hmm. but how do you account for the fact that he's almost certainly going to pick up three fouls in the first like six minutes and then you kind of have to go from there i mean he's had fewer than four fouls in a game twice basically in the last three weeks i mean he that's a huge concern it was a huge concern last season it was something he had kind of at least somewhat smoothed over before he got hurt and then now it's kind of seems like he's relapsed and is right well, back the number was. one concern of his when he was in college right. too uh, and then i compare you know the flaws in Jackson's game to the strengths in Wendell Carter's game and I mean he's a guy that's just yeah kind of give him 25 minutes and he's going to get you close to 10 right. rebounds and better passer uh better passer but he has not developed the three-point shot the way that I think a lot of people expected you know I think yep. at least the expectation was going to be that he could hit some corner threes uh still very early in his career but um hasn't been good no it hasn't been good but i still think i still think he's like a you know Derek favors type of guy at worst where he's just a really solid Mm two-way big who you know maybe he can't stretch for you but he's going to be able to guard fours and fives he's going to be able to protect the pain he's going to be able to get rebounds so you can at least see him being a good starting center on a good team uh and then Devonte Graham, I'm interested where you had him because I think the fact that he was just such a under the radar guy coming into this year, just sort of a non-factor in terms of being a mm-hmm. top twenty pick or anything in this class, you know, people are maybe sort of slow to buy into what he's doing this year. But if it had been, you know, somebody like let's say, I don't know. McCall Bridges or or someone like that or Miles Bridges or or somebody that you know was pretty hyped up was doing what he's doing right now I think we'd be talking about him as, as like Sexton. a top five guy yeah I mean yeah. He's no just... I think I think that's a great great way to frame it that's exactly what I thought about 
the first couple year, couple weeks of the season, you know, like, we, like talking again about projections, like we were really hesitant to be like, is this just who this guy is now? And we have enough of a sample. When he's played 26 games, he's averaging 34 minutes per game. It's not like Terry Rozier got hurt and he was just thrown in there. Like he has been, <clears throat> he's been their best guard really and the entire season. Not only do we have enough of a sample in terms of games, but he's taking like nine threes a game. Right. So it's, it's not like he's taking like two a game and is yeah. working like a really high percentage. I mean, he's taking mm-hmm. like a Steph Curry amount of threes right. per game and hitting them at a really good yep. clip. So I had uh, Gilgis Alexander at five, Robinson six, Carter seven, Bagley eight, Landry Shaman at number nine, and then Devontae Graham at 10. And I, th- I think 10 was kind of the, the ceiling for me with Graham. I, I initially had him a little bit lower. And then, like you said, you start looking at the numbers, and it's pretty tough to justify putting him behind guys like, you know, the Bridges or, you know, like Anthony Simons and, well, and even yeah, you know, I mean, I, DiVincenzo. I had – so I had uh... – Shamit in a lower tier of just good role players whereas mm-hmm. i felt like the separator for me with graham and, and a lot of those guys you mentioned is that he can be a primary ball handler and can create his own shot a lot more than those guys where you know i, I like Shamit. i mean we're going to get to plenty of these guys that are awesome to have on your team but they're they're going to be low usage guys that are basically yeah. just either three and d or just three and you know graham I don't know where it settles for him. Like, you know, is he going to be a guy that just averages 22 points per game or something like that on a bad team his whole career? Maybe, but I think the three-point shot making Mm -hmm. and just the fact that he's so sort of new to this, I mean, maybe there could be another another level for him. Uh, We'll see, but I just, I felt like he had a bit higher of a ceiling. Yeah, I mean, the, the points of hesitation for me with Graham are a lot of turnovers, and he really struggles on everything but threes, basically, and he doesn't play D. So like, I, I feel like his ceiling is fairly limited in terms of being a winning player, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really get you any steals. Um, you know, he's under... 39 percent from two-point range not i mean he's basically just been an awesome pretty good a pretty good assist rate though right oh yes i mean 7.7 assists per game um that's been great and on a garbage team too right Uh, and i I think there is a case to be made that maybe he was just underutilized not only last season when he you know he played sparingly in like half their games but even at kansas when he's mm -hmm. playing you know he's playing with the gerald vick he's playing with frank mason he was always the number two if not number three guy on those teams and I think he was probably playing out of position, and I mean, I, he was playing off the ball at Kansas, and it's pretty clear now that he's more of a point guard than a, than a two guard. And we see this, I think, a lot with guys making the transition from college to the pros, where they were just being used in a, in a incredibly archaic way right. in college. Like Tyler Hero, I think, is a perfect example from this year's class, where it's just yeah, you, you start thinking about a guy as, well, he has to be this role player who just shoots threes, because that's what he did in college, but you know there, there's sometimes there's yeah. another layer there so there were some other factors with hero too i think yeah with that profile so i i went through my my top nine uh my next tier it's only two guys and i just have it uh, labeled upside guards where i believe that these guys could be uh you know graham or better if they had graham's role but they don't for mm-hmm. uh, similar reasons, and it's Aaron Holiday and Anthony Simons. Um, I know Holiday's numbers aren't that great, but when he starts, his numbers actually are pretty great. Like I think he could be, you know, five rebounds, five assists, one and a half steals, really good threes, uh, 
type of guy if he was a starting point guard that's not going to happen though uh on this team and Anthony Simons I think there's less across the board you know type of production Mm -hmm. coming from him but I think he could be uh the same type of score that Graham has shown and so I think these guys have a little bit more upside than just sort of role player uh yep type of guys but they also have a, a bigger downside yeah, I'm I'm a little bit iffier than you, I think, on on Aaron Holiday. You are right. I mean, when he started, he's had games where he's looked really, really good, not only as a shooter, but but also as a passer. And and even this year coming mostly off the bench. I mean, he's thirty eight percent from three. So there is a lot to like there. But similar to Graham, also a guy who struggles from two point range. Um but yeah, I mean they, they do have a similar profile. And I think Aaron Holiday is is a better defender, certainly right. at this point than the Graham is. Simons is somebody that like I really want to like like I want him to be good so badly so mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's kind of maybe influencing my opinion I've met 15 which maybe he should be a little lower because when you start looking at the numbers like I mean his his peaks are incredible and like on his best night he's better than mm-hmm. a lot of these guys who are just better overall players than him but he doesn't do anything outside of score at all and he doesn't play D and true. he doesn't really pass I mean it's like the same criticisms that I think we'll probably have about Colin Sexton are kind of the same that you would have with anthony simons he's just he just is like so much smoother and more aesthetically pleasing to watch i guess than sexton i guess i mean we just have such a a small sample to to, i think to really say with confidence what he can't do so maybe i'm just being a little too optimistic about you put him in a different role on a different team or something and maybe he could sort of expand his game a little bit whereas i think with Colin Sexton, I, I've seen enough to, to sort of know uh, what he can and can't do, and that's less appealing to me than the mysterious aspect of, of Simon's profile. Mm-hmm. Um, but after those two guys, I have this huge tier, uh, and this, is, this tier is sort of what makes this draft class so special of just role-player wings slash guards and I started it with Kevin Herter, then McCall Bridges, Josh Okoge, Lonnie Walker, Duncan Robinson, Dante DiVincenzo, Landry Shamit, Miles Bridges, Kendrick Nunn, and Jalen Brunson, where all those guys could play on any team in the league, uh, probably coming off the bench if it's a good team, but right. possibly starting as like the fourth or fifth starter on a, on a playoff team. And they all either shoot it or defend or both, yep. and they don't need the ball to have success. Yeah, I don't have any complaints there. I mean, there are probably tens of thousands of people right now shouting, wait, you talked about Kendrick Nunn last week. Um, I mean, technically, he is a rookie this just, year because I he hadn't played. But yeah. yeah, I mean, he was he was a member of the 2018 draft class. And I, I think it's interesting to kind of talk about where he would slot in in both of those classes. And I mean, it's fair to say now that the 2018 class, even though it's still early for, for this most most recent class, like the 2018 class is much deeper. It's quite fair. Much better than, than 2019. <laughs> Which is funny because, I mean, I really don't think people saw this as a great class, right? No. I mean, I, I think, you know, if you were just saying guys like uh, Jaron Jackson, Mitchell Robinson, Wendell Carter, <laughs> right. like Shea, I, I mean, those guys that to me are just clear, clear, like third best player from this past yeah. class. And like even DeAndre Ayton, I think I'd probably rather have him than, than most of the guys uh, from this yeah. past class. So, I mean, but you just when you get that many awesome role players sort of mm-hmm. deep into the draft i mean that's yeah. just such a uh, kind of a bonus for those teams picking back there i mean divincenzo's really lifted himself up this year uh lonnie walker is 
really tough to rate on a list like this because I think, one good game. I think he's actually kind of even more so into that Simon's realm of when he looks good, he looks really, really, really good and like athletically just a, an elite athlete. Uh, but there's probably reasons why he hasn't been given uh, too many opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, he's shooting it well, but. He's someone I would love to see in Charlotte or Cleveland. Like, what would That's, he be doing if he wasn't in the... It seems like he's basically just been in Pop's doghouse for two straight so years. There's so many of these guys, like, you know, Holiday, Simons, mm. Walker. If we could just swap them with Graham and just give them <coughs> the shots and the usage right. that Graham gets, I just would love to see how it would compare yeah. and contrast because, uh, yeah, I mean, it, when is Lonnie Walker ever going to be set loose? Maybe never. Uh, Possibly never. <laughs> we have no idea. Um, so I guess I have most of those guys that you just named. I didn't break mine into tiers, but I have most of them in my like 11 to 20 range. Mm-hmm. So I went Graham at 10 and then in order, Kevin Herter, Miles Bridges, Michael Porter, Robert Williams, Anthony Simons, McCall Bridges, DiVincenzo, Holiday, Lonnie Walker. And I have Colin Sexton at number 20. I know he didn't make your list, but I, I, I think at some point it's worth it when you're averaging like 19 a game. I don't. Uh, but I, I mean, I would... I think every team in the league would rather have Duncan Robinson than Colin Sexton, personally. I forgot about Duncan Robinson. So, yes, I would agree with you on that, but he's not on my list, so I can't okay. technically prove it. <laughs> um, I mean, the five guys I have after Sexton, Mo Bamba, Jalen Brunson, Mo Wagner, Keita Bates-Jopp, and Josh Okoge. So Did I, any of those guys make your list? Well, I list I, – so I had Okoge um, in the, the role-player tier. Right. I listed 21 guys so far. My last tier is just sort of wait and see bigs, and I have Michael Porter there along with Mo Wagner, Robert Williams, and and Mo Bamba. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wagner obviously having an amazing start to this season, but I just think I, I need to see a bit more before I buy into this shooting efficiency from him. But, you know, he could vault way up. Robert Williams, Michael Porter, Mo Bamba, you know, I think you would probably bet against – all three of those guys in a vacuum but maybe one of those three pops and becomes something i think i'm lowest on bamba of that group uh because i think he's been given you know i mean the the magic would be playing bamba a lot more (laughs) than he's playing if they if they could uh he just he can't be played that much and i think you could say the same thing about robert williams i mean the celtics would love it if robert williams was capable of reaching his potential this year but uh michael porter i'm honestly borderline out on just because i think uh his attitude amid all this is kind of a little concerning like i think he's yeah i'd love to see a change of scenery maybe send him to a terrible team and just have him get a bunch of minutes and right um i mean he'd never projected to be a good defender and i don't know i I'm sort of out on him. My, my take on Michael Porter is it was it was almost to his benefit that he never played in college because oh, yeah. we're still working off of his like awesome high school mixtape, which which is great, but he's playing against a bunch of six one kids in in I think Seattle or whatever somewhere in that area. Um, like athletic six ten guy that can just right. rise up and hit jumpers, and you're just like, oh man, that, that'd be cool. Every time the, the Nuggets lose, you see a flood of why are they not playing Michael Porter? Michael Porter would have helped them like. I don't. I don't think like what is his. He's like, like their eleventh best player. Did you watch like when he had those like quote unquote good games in the preseason? It was just pulling up and taking like Kobe mid range yeah. jumpers. And like granted, he makes a lot of them, but he doesn't do anything else. He's not a great rebounder. He doesn't pass really at all. 
he's a bad defender. He needs to add weight and muscle, which he has not done whatsoever while being hurt. Um, and you know, maybe that's not his fault since it was a back injury, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy this narrative that they just have a superstar sitting on the bench who no. they're just refusing to play. I, I think he would be exposed if he played big minutes. I agree. I think he's, you know, a, a poor man's version to me almost of why I'm not a big fan of RJ Barrett is I just think he's never going to be satisfied in a supporting role, even if he's, he could excel in that type of role. Like there there's guys where they just have the tools to just be dominant supporting players mm-hmm. and i think barrett definitely fits into that group but he's never going to be satisfied in such a role so it's tough to kind of build a team with with those guys involved mm-hmm. um are th- is there anybody that we haven't covered or someone we just glossed over that you want to hit on i feel like we should at least talk about sexton yeah i mean i just think it's uh extremely clear that he can't be part of a winning team's rotation unless i don't know maybe he could be just a a bench scorer but even then he's just so bad defensively that you would really have to uh i mean he'd really have to be pretty efficient to to pull that off and um i mean he's just a losing player to me uh that was a bad pick uh kevin knox i did not include you know i'm almost more optimistic on Knox than I am Sexton just because of Knox's size and the fact that he still shoots it pretty well from three but everything else is just terrible um I mean he hasn't been done any favors either I mean if Kevin Knox was in a different organization from the start maybe things would be different but I think those were probably the those two and then Bamba were were probably the Mm -hmm. three worst picks of the well those three and Porter probably the the four worst picks of the top ten Right. Well, I think part of what's interesting about this draft being so good and so deep is that oftentimes when that happens, like you have players, you know, out of nowhere who become like the best player in a draft. Like, I mean, not not, not that the Giannis draft was good because it was still, you know, very top heavy, but like the best players in that draft were Giannis, Oladipo, I think like was Gobert, yeah, Gobert in that draft. Like you had a lot of like guys who really came out of nowhere. Whereas in this one, like my top eight, seven of those top eight guys were lottery picks. Robinson's really the only exception. You know, like I think for the most part, a lot of these picks kind of ended up being, you know, maybe somebody like Aiton and Bagley don't have like the super superstar upside that that those teams wrongfully thought. I think the funniest thing about this draft is that the first two picks to me I didn't even consider as top five guys, yeah. and I love this class. So it's it's an awesome class, mm-hmm. even though the first two picks right. were terrible picks. I I still think Aiton is going to be good. I really do. I, I mean, he's not. He's never at, going to be conscious level. Good at what? Like scoring on a bad yes. team he was 16 and 10 last year i know but Got on a terrible a team yeah i mean i just don't think he's ever going to be the starting center on a really good team i think he could be as he just can't be your best player i mean he's a cat he's a cat it's my last plea <laughs> hasn't been a hasn't been a good run for cats in the pros lately yeah um, Manium, baby. so i mean the here's the problem with ayton is okay so he's not your best player uh you, his, the thing he's best at is scoring, mm-hmm. and the thing he's worst at is defending. And it's just so complicated to build a team around that when you kind of have a volume scoring big who doesn't really think the game, uh, can't protect the rim, uh, can't be part of a helping defense, and the, be- the thing he's best at is just mm-hmm. sort of ISO scoring. I mean, it, it's kind of a rich man's Jalil Okafor type of profile. Wow. 
and you use the J word, and I just think it's it's incredibly difficult to build a team around a guy like that. I I just want to give him the benefit of the doubt of playing in a non Kakoskov system. Like, <laughs> I I could totally see if he had not been suspended for for PEDs, which is a mark against him. I will say that. Like, I could see like a mini breakout here. I mean, maybe not like a Bam level type of season, but you know, like I think we could be talking about him completely differently if he was just on the court during this nice Suns run. But I, I think your counterpoint would be they don't go on this run. That healthy. is my counterpoint. I think they're Aaron one Baines, and zero with him. Aaron Baines has been the key to this. Aaron Baines has missed like the ten of the last eleven games. But they, like his ability to play defense and shoot threes, was what like fueled this start in the first place. They're and, one and zero with eight in the lineup. He had eighteen and eleven and four blocks in that game. All right. Well, All right. I let's uh, let's tr- sort of track uh, when he his first twenty games back. We'll track mm-hmm. their win loss record. I'm gonna bet that it is okay under I don't know forty five percent. Yeah, I mean, I I guess under, I'll take under, that bet. under yeah, under forty really under forty percent. I I don't know. I I think they'll be they'll have a worse record yeah. in his first twenty games back than they did okay. in the twenty five games. That's a good way to put it. Okay, we'll 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 keep track of that. I want to talk briefly about Divincenzo. I was really not in on him. Uh, I thought last year he kind of looked out of sorts and just wasn't comfortable. Maybe it was mostly injury related, but he has been like way more confident, way better on defense this year. Like him, I mean, just having watched a lot of Bucks games, being in Wisconsin, like his like weak side help which is not mm-hmm. something that really jumps out for a lot of guys like the amount of steals that he gets just mm-hmm. sinking on the weak side um and then just you know starting fast breaks and he's, he's not the greatest finisher not the greatest passer but he's just like a really really good seventh or eighth guy which i think is kind of what you're hoping for when you pick somebody 17 he's you know he's he's decent at shooting threes and even though he's not the greatest finisher he gets the line a decent amount when he shouldn't. I mean, you should not be fouling DiVincenzo when he's going to the hoop on you, but he, he still draws fouls. And yeah, like you said, I mean, he's just a perfect fit. Like if, if you're talking about this Bucks team with the pick, what was that, like 18th overall pick? Like you're trying to get a guy exactly like this where right. he can be a 20-minute-a-game guy for you. And yeah. he's a guy that I think looks like he could be part of their rotation all the way okay. into the you know Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, that's that's a lot for a, a second year player. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of taken the Pat Connaughton spot. I mean, and they're both they're both in the rotation. I mean, this team is so deep, and they're blowing everybody out that everybody ends up playing, and it's kind of hard to get a, a feel on what the real rotation is. Like even Chris Middleton is playing like mid twenties since he's come back from injury because they're just beating everybody. But I last think, fifteen games for Divincenzo: nine point eight points, four point six rebounds, one point seven assists, one point eight steals in twenty three minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just a slightly better version of Connaughton, but I think it will come down to, like, riding the hot hand out of those two in the playoffs. Like, Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be some closing lineups that involve one of those two, uh, and it'll just be, you know, who's been shooting it better uh, because they they both can be sort of hot and cold from three, and they've both both been better in West Matthews, I think, uh, so far. Uh, But That was... I never loved that signing. I think well, there was a lot look, of like, hey, the he minimum. went to Marquette. That for the be minimum. Great. Yeah, I mean, but he, I mean, I don't think he should be starting. I'll say that. I think they promised him that he would start. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think a team that has title aspirations should be promising any like 32-year-old with Achilles problems that they should be starting. Um, okay, last couple things. Worst overall pick in this draft based on value, based on whatever. Like what, what pick is just the absolute worst of them all? Um... I think there are a few a few candidates that jump out. I personally, I think it has to be either Aiton or Bagley. 
just because of what you left on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think I'll have to say Bagley just because it was the second pick. Yeah. Instead, I mean, like the first pick, I thought it was clearly Doncic, but there were smart people out there that thought you could make a case rate, and I thought that that was a stupid argument. But like, at least there were people saying, sure, maybe Aiton. There was nobody saying, got to take Bagley over Doncic, except for the Kings. And right. so that's that's a worse pick. But, I mean, I think those are the two worst picks just because you voluntarily did not take Luka Doncic. I mean, yeah. that, that just makes the pick the worst pick. Right. I mean, if you voluntarily don't take Michael Jordan or voluntarily yes. don't take uh, whoever, like, I mean, you're that's the worst pick. Right. Well, so. it depends. Like, I mean, I don't think anyone looks back at the Rockets. I mean, obviously, they, they should have taken Jordan, but... At least you got like one of the three best centers ever out of it. Will Aiden get there? You know, we'll see. Like, what what would he have to do to even justify to make that like an okay pick? I I think Bagley, like you said, like Bagley's the more egregious offense. Right, because it's just I mean, I think his flaws were sort of right. more well known. Um I don't want to give I don't want to let the sun I think I get more frustrated at people letting the suns off the hook for the Aiton pick that because I know everyone knows the Bagley pick was terrible but yeah. I just I get really frustrated when people say look hey Aiton you know people people liked Aiton like it's just you, the argument's always like well he went to Arizona they had to take like him. Luka Doncic <laughs> was there and there were people saying Luka yep. Doncic was by far the best prospect right. in this draft and you didn't take him and now he's probably going to be him and Giannis are going to rule the next yes. decade and so you didn't take him this is far worse to me than like Detroit taking Kennard over Donovan Mitchell because, oh, yeah. oh well, yeah I mean for a number of reasons one nobody knew Donovan like nobody was saying how, how could how was Donovan Mitchell still on the board like if anything I, I, he rose really late in that draft um and the other thing is like Donovan Mitchell's great he's probably going to be a eight-time all-star not Luka Doncic. They, no, there's a difference no. between passing on and, a, a perennial all-star and passing on like a guy who could be a top 10 player ever. Well, and I think taking Aiton over Doncic to me is worse than all the teams that passed on Giannis in the Giannis draft because Giannis was still he was a lottery ticket, you know? Like even the Bucks knew that he was no. just a, a high-risk, high-reward right. lottery ticket. There weren't people saying no. Giannis has to be the number one pick in this draft. I mean, there were tons of people right. saying Doncic had to be the number one pick in this draft. So it's you don't even have to have the benefit of hindsight right. to go back and say that it was a garbage right. pick. Right. Well, and some of the other like Draymond's always one of those where you hear like, oh, he dominated workouts. Yeah. We just we just didn't have the guts to take him. Mitchell too. Like you would hear, you know, he we brought in a group of five guys and he was the best, but we still didn't take him. Like Giannis didn't even work out for any. Like it's not like Giannis was killing it in workouts mm-hmm. and then people still pass on him. Like I, I think there were other teams that said, you know, if he'd slipped three or four more spots they would have taken the chance but no i don't i don't in hindsight no i don't think you can fault anybody for the honest and, pick. and not only did like the kings take bagley over Doncic, the kings took bagley over jackson and trey young yeah. so it's it's uh and part of their reasoning in not taking Doncic or trey young was the bs well how's he going to fit with the Aaron fox excuse and when you're the kings Oof. You cannot be drafting for need with the number two overall pick. Yeah, no, I I would say almost almost never in the NBA should you draft no. for need, especially ever. in the ever. especially in like the top five or six. Right. If you want, if you're like a playoff team and you have a need in the twenties and sure. you want to do that, that's fine. But yeah, almost never. Uh, I think the other candidates for worst pick outside. I mean, those are the two obvious ones. But I mean, Bamba, Bamba, yeah, Bamba, Bamba, Knox, and Knox. Saxon, yeah. 
Yeah. Jerome Robinson at 13 in a lot of drafts would be bad, but he's been overshadowed, thankfully. I mean, he might, he's finally in the rotation, I guess, for them right now, but that's, I think, only because both Shamit and Magruder have been hurt. I mean, he's somebody who could very well be out of the league, you know, like, and not, not have his third year option picked up. It's very, you know, between picks 11 and 30, it's just either, wow, that was a really good pick, or wow, that was a really yeah. bad pick there's just yeah either hits or misses there aren't there aren't really many in between but not not a ton of like massive hits in that range either like the hits are divincenzo herder you know but i think Simons. Th- i mean i think those are hits no they are but i mean you don't have like a sure a gobert or anything who's like that the who, like who's the i guess shay's like the best example of really really good value best, best value per pick uh well, actually yeah. mitchell robinson Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Graham, even at 34, mm-hmm. is right there. Um, I think it has to be Robinson. Like, I, I think we're all in agreement with Robinson that, like, it's more the situation than him, right? And you, I don't think you can necessarily say that for some of these other guys who've struggled. And I think you can give the teams, uh, you know, ahead of the Knicks some grief for not taking mm-hmm. him just because, you know, physically, you know, Amari Spellman got taken over him. Uh, well. There were just plenty of guys you know robert williams even like they the celtics chose wrong when taking a extremely high risk high upside big and i mean there are plenty of teams that could have been a lot better off if they had uh, just gambled on robinson right. and i think that maybe is the argument for why teams maybe should have taken bull bull i don't believe in bull bull but like <laughs> totally forgot about bull bull <laughs> i think that'll be a common theme uh, over the next decade or so yeah um all right this was fun uh maybe we'll have to do go back and do 2017 one of these next few weeks as as we get you know more and more of a sample but that'll wrap it up for us make sure read all the content on rotowire.com you just came out with a very interesting top 10 prospects of the decade that i just read this morning uh fun list we'll be doing some all decade stuff on the nba page as well so make sure you check that out uh i'll be back with alex on thursday Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.